You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. CFOs and controllers, there's a better way to manage cards, expenses, travel, and reimbursements. You need a unified spend platform from Brex that lets you control all your spend in one place, automate compliance, and close the books faster. Get started at Brex.com. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, a lighthearted podcast that takes a revealing look at a career in the entertainment industry, featuring stories and interviews with those on stage and backstage, on screen and behind the scenes. I'm Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It. Well, here we are together again for another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, and you have joined me for a great episode. I'm so excited for you to meet Maggie Barra along with me, because she's actually someone that I met on Instagram. She and I started following each other, we would comment, and then we struck up a conversation, and I went to her website, which has a blog called The Actor Aesthetic, and it's something that she started a couple of years ago. She talks about the business, sometimes like auditioning and how to do this and how to do that, but also just shares her own experiences. And through that, we struck up a conversation and really, I would say, a friendship that led to me asking her to come on to the podcast. And so today, she's going to talk about her time in Texas, where she, where she went to school, as well as people that we even got to work with Andrew Lippa together. So that's a person that we have in common and have both worked with. And she really opens up and shares a lot about her own experiences here in the city. And, you know, it takes a lot to be an actor and to really go through the grind of being here in New York City and making a living at performing. And she actually joins me via online. We weren't able to meet face to face, but we did get to uh, get on Zoom together and we're able to see each other on screen and talk about the inner workings of this business we call show. Well, thank you so much, Maggie, for joining me online. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I wasn't sure if this was going to work. We're, we're trying something new out called Zoom, and it seems to be working so far. So thank you for, for being my little guinea pig as we, <laughs> as we do this. Anytime. So when it comes to our profession, certainly one of the big things is this idea of making it. You know, I, I'm doing air quotes. You can't really see it. But <laughs> what is the idea of making it? What does it mean to make it to you? Well, honestly, so Broadway, of course, is a huge goal for mine. For oh, me. of course. Yeah, that's top of the list. It's yeah. always the goal. Of However, course. it's not... I, I think my idea of making it as an actor has changed. Um, it's not just starring in a Broadway show. I think, for me, ultimately, it's being a working actor. So what I mean by mm. that is doing anything you can to continue performing and work on your craft. If that means regional theater or workshop productions like a lab or film TV, regardless of what it is, just continuing to work as an actor. Um, 
And again, that doesn't even mean getting paid for everything that you do, but just constantly. Which is always nice. Oh, it's always <laughs> nice. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, even if that means creating your own work, just continuing mm. to create and explore your craft. And of course, also, I, I think mostly if Broadway isn't the goal, it's creating a role on Broadway. That's that's the ultimate goal. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that, yes. I mean, being in an established show would be great. Yeah. But but yeah, getting a chance to be with a show from the beginning, like like one of my good friends, Montego Glover, she was like oh, with, man. she was with Memphis from day one. And she was, so for like three, four, five years, it's just like, taking this long journey of, of this reading and that development. And then finally it opens on Broadway. But you know, what we don't see are those years of development, but to be with a role and be with the show and the creatives as it journeys through its many different processes and different incarnations would be an amazing thing. That's funny that you bring up Montego. I am obsessed with her and I saw Memphis a couple of years ago when it was on Broadway and we actually, my family and I saw it twice in one day. Oh wow, um, back to back. <laughs> I know. What happened was we saw the matinee performance of it and then Chad Kimball had gotten sick and um, my sister was friends with Kevin Massey, who was understudying Chad Kimball. Um, long story short, we were both actors growing up. She mm -hmm. did the national tour of Little House on the Prairie, the musical. There you go. And there we go. And so Kevin was playing the lead and he texted my dad and he was like, I had no idea you guys were coming to see the show. I'm going on tonight. So we ended up seeing the show again that day. And I was, I fell in love with Montego Glover. I thought she was incredible. Oh, I mean, she, I mean, and she's only gotten better. That's the crazy thing. She I can't. Only I can't gotten better. even fathom that that <laughs> on that woman. Yeah, <laughs> she is absolutely amazing, and yeah, because she and I worked together at Disney World, and so that's yes. where she and I got to know each other years and years ago. But oh, um, yeah, yeah, we happened to bump into each other a couple of months ago when she was in town, and uh, yeah, we just kind of caught up, and we we didn't realize that it had been like fifteen years or so since, that we've known each other. You know, so it's just been a long time that we've that we've been around each other. Time flies. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, what was the performance like seeing it back to back like that? Did it change? It was, crazy. It was so different. I mean, in the best way. It was the the first show, by the way, I couldn't even tell that Chad was sick. So that was like astonishing because yeah. um, Kevin was like, oh yeah, he had the fever. Like he was really, really sick, but he put on an incredible show. And Montego Glover like gave an incredible performance. Like I can't, I don't know how she sustains that every, you know, the, the way, how she could do eight shows a week like that because the vocals and the, the work ethic and the stamina to maintain a show like that was really incredible. So seeing it the second time around, I was like, Ooh, let's see, like, how does someone like that <laughs> do a show like that in two, like twice a day? Right. How do you repeat a performance like that? Yeah, how do you repeat? And it was also really interesting seeing Kevin step into the role because um, it just gave the show a different form of life. Um, it wasn't better or worse. It was just like a different way of seeing the show. So um, it quickly became one of our my family's favorite shows because mm. it was just incredible. But yeah. Well, and, and that kind of gets back to that idea of making it as well because for a lot of people, it is being the role. It is being the character. Whereas... A lot of us, we have mm -hmm. understudy roles, and that and that's a way to 
to to be wor- a working actor, even if you're not in the limelight and you're not front and center all the time. Absolutely. And and I think it's a it's one of those things that is underappreciated a lot, especially in especially when you go out on tour and say the understudy goes on or something like that. It's weird how producers and theaters are so hesitant to like let it be known that an understudy's on. When I'm like, look, look. Y- Everyone's going to see the exact same show. Yes, it's going to be a different face, a different voice, but the show is going to be just as wonderful, mm-hmm. even with that understudy. And it's, it, and I think it it does a disservice to the hard work that goes into being an understudy when so many theaters and producers don't try to elevate that to be like, hey, look, you get to see somebody else. This is going yeah. to be a wonderful show. And sometimes it's harder to, I mean... I, I've understudied a couple times and I would love to know your, because I know that you've also understudied a couple of times on the road as well, right. which I would love to know more about um, for future reference, if that ever comes <laughs> to play in my right. Um, But like, sometimes it is harder to be an understudy for a lead role than to be playing the lead role for, you know, however many times a week, because you don't get the opportunity to be, doing the show every single day it's not Mm -hmm. it's not something that you'll have in your body so you have to trick your mind in different ways of being on the ball at any given moment definitely Um, i would love to know a little bit about like your experience understudying i know you did you did um the adams family yeah i did yeah yeah i did avita and the adams family Mm -hmm. in the adams family i understudied two roles mal which is wednesday's boyfriend's father Mm-hmm. And then I also understudied Lurch. And <laughs> I know, I know. It, it, Lurch was definitely the more fun of the two. I love but, that. But I went on for Mal much more often. Mm-hmm. And what what was interesting is that both of those roles were actually a wonderful vacation from the ensemble role that I was doing because, because the ensemble <laughs> role, it, it is so, it's so dance heavy. You're, yeah. you're on stage in many different scenes doing different things. And if you've seen the show, there's this one where both families come together and they're having this huge dinner and all the ancestors are kind of in the background. So we're standing there holding candelabras for like 15 minutes stationary. And then all of a sudden we'll like do a little head bop and then we're back, you know, you know, and so you're just like (laughs) waiting just to move and do anything or sing, sing a note. But whenever I would go on for the understudy, because we would rehearse, um, you know, we rehearsed a little bit in the city, mm-hmm. but mostly those rehearsals didn't happen until we were on the road. And that's, and then, so then every Tuesday, we would do a different incarnation of, of different understudies, playing different roles and doing th- different things. And so when I, when I finally got to go on for the first time, it was actually as Lurch. And it was wow. in our second city. And wow, w- so we, 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 we had had, I, I think we had kind of gone over some music, but hadn't really done any blocking. and. The, the guy playing Lurch, his father passed away very suddenly. Oh, wow. I know it was so sad. And so he needed to go, obviously. And, and we were like, yes. And so he did one show knowing that his father had already passed. Oh and so I just shadowed him. And I walked behind him and I, and I just made sure, okay, you enter here, you take on this prop, you do this, do that. Just, just kind of doing the blocking backstage and then watching him on stage. And then the next night I went on. I think I did like maybe 70% of what I was supposed to do. But basically, I had a cheat sheet of every prop that I <laughs> had to bring on. Because, yes. because 
Lurch would come on with like five different props and leave with three different ones. So it was always that. So I always just kept this running list of everything I need to have in my pockets and, and carrying. Wow. And so Lurch was really being thrown out of the, sh- out of the, the cannon, just like, okay, go. Wow. But, um, but Mal, I got to, to rehearse a lot more. And for me, it, a lot of times the understudy basically needs to fill in the mold of the, of the, the, the actor that plays it. And so it was a lot of now, now, now granted I'm still my own person and yeah. the director was at least understanding enough to, mm-hmm. to, to let me still give it Patrick. You know, I don't have mm-hmm. to be uh, Marty. That was the guy playing Mal. I didn't have to be Marty. So, but at the same time, all the blocking and all the kind of beats had to be the same as far as hitting the comedic timing. So it was, it was fun in, in the fact that I got to infuse a bit of myself and I got to work, you know, I'm doing a scene with Douglas Sills right there, uh, you know? So it's just like, <laughs> hello. Uh, so it was, it was so much fun to, to be able amazing. to do that. But, but, but yeah, it is a different mindset to, to, you know, to focus on my ensemble track and then add these others and be ready at a moment's notice, mm-hmm. much like in St. Louis where, you know, where he had to go be at his dad's funeral or mm-hmm. just, okay, th- th- you know, Marty's called in sick, so we need you to go on tonight. Now, swings, now that is a whole other mindset. I don't even a understand. A whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> that is something my mind cannot do. Like, like oh, have you ever had yeah. to, to do different I, tracks or do different roles like that? So the only other time I ever had to swing, let's see, I, I swung, I was, my sophomore year of college, we were doing Rent. And so I actually was understudying Maureen and then I swung the rest of the ensemble. So what was like mind blowing was that I had like 85 different people like constantly to look at. I mean, that's an exaggeration. I only had like 10 people, but, but like, still. of course I was, yes, of course I was focusing on Maureen and her stuff and what was going on. But like, Throughout some of the rehearsals, people were not there, so I would have to step in, and it was like a constant battle of, but I'm paying attention to Maureen, but I also have to be like in this moment at this time. I like, it was the first time I ever swung, first time I ever understudied, and so it really just like kicked my butt into gear as to what that means and like how to sustain like or maintain my sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I think over time I've gotten a lot better at it. Um, I think that's just one of the things that you just don't really know how to do until you experience it. Um, it's kind of hard. Swinging and understudying is kind of hard to prepare for unless you know you're you're getting opportunities to do so. Um, I like had color coded like. Uh, spreadsheets going on and like I had different like I had a gajillion notes in my script about where everyone was blocking wise and everyone was a different color and right, then right because wow. I've seen some of those swing notebooks and yeah it, it was is, like a bible I think I is. think we called it like my swing bible like that's what it was now now Absolutely. did you separate have have like one script for 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 this role and then another script for this track and another or or, or did you I meld it have. into one I should have. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely should have had multiple, at at least like one specifically for Marine and then an extra uh, script just for the ensemble women. But uh, after that experience, I understudied a couple more times. And then one of, 
my one of my first professional jobs out of school was understudying Christine and Phantom at the Fireside Theater. Is that and, more Yeston's Phantom? Yes, more Yeston's Phantom, mm -hmm. not right. Andrew Lloyd Webber's. And I had I that whole show was incredible because I found like a new new ad admiration for Moriestin. I really didn't know his music prior to that. Um, I only knew Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what most people know. Yeah. I mean, yes. And so I was in the ensemble for that, but I also understudied Christine. And slowly I was starting to pick up things that were working for me in regards to how to take notes, how to figure out the blocking. This was also a theater in the round, and this was my first time mm. working in the round. And yeah. so that was really um, jarring, but slowly I was figuring out what worked for me. I ended up getting the, um, I got an iPad and I started taking notes on like Microsoft OneNote. And I uh, was like putting all of my notes for blocking and everything in there. And that was amazing. That was like a life changing. Like, yeah, thing. yeah. I I discovered the the iPad about five years oh, yeah. ago, and 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 ever since then, that's that's what I exclusively use for rehearsals now. It's just so it's much easier. Well, I mean, instead of having the three ring binder and having to carry that and turn pages, mm -hmm. it's one single screen, and you just kind of tap, and you can mm -hmm. add notes or highlight. Mm -hmm. So it it yeah, it's it's very helpful. Exactly. At a moment's and then I notice got, to access things. Yes. And then I got the uh, the stylus that goes with it so that I was starting to like draw oh. and like utilize that. That was Fancy. a game changer. I know, but I was like, <laughs> what a great investment because now my mind, like now I can get really into it and draw. And what I was doing before, like color coding and doing that stuff, instead of doing it like physically in my script, I was doing it on there. It was just, it was a life changer. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a lot about, you know, just the intricacies of, yeah. of making it and, and the little <laughs> nuances that go into performing. But what would you say is the thing that holds you back? Like, why will you never make it? What is it that you think, you know, all right, well, if I have to do something else, I might as well quit now. I love that you asked that question. And I love that your podcast is named that because it's... <laughs> Ooh, what does that mean? Like, is that taboo? Like, what do we think? Right, right, um, right, right. Because so I many people it. have a negative connotation of it. And and I mean, yes, none of us want to like focus on the negative, and that really isn't the point of the title. The point no. of it is is like, look, this is a tough business. And yeah, 95% of your auditions, you will not be booking those. So oh, I know. So so I mean, you know, you, you, something's got to keep you going. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So okay. I thought a little bit about this and I honestly think that the reason why I will or would never make it is totally me. It would be that I'm the only thing that's going to get in my way. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with my own insecurity as a performer um, and worrying so much about what people think of me versus just doing what I love for a couple of minutes in the audition room and then leaving and then doing what I love again in the audition room. Um, I, I think really it would be my own insecurity and maybe jealousy of other performers. Mm. Um, and that's, I think- That's one of the big ones. Yeah, It really is. I, I think it's, this is what I, I try to talk about on my own podcast is like, what what do we have control over in this industry? Because I am constantly recording and writing down every audition that I go to, every appointment that I get or callback that I get. And last year I did 
like I looked at the end of the year last year in 2018, I went through how many auditions I went to and how many callbacks I got and then also how many shows I booked. And I think the number was up to like 200 auditions, like Mm -hmm. maybe even more than that, like 200 auditions. And then I got like maybe 20 callbacks and like one or two shows I booked. Um, and you know that to me, sounds crazy but like that's the norm (laughs) it's just the norm and it's what you have to expect going into this but knowing that all you can can control is your work ethic and your attitude um can serve you especially when you think about what's going to get in your way in this industry it's not necessarily the people behind the table that may or may not give you the job it could very well be yourself Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, because we as actors, we we like to think that that we're on top of our game and, and we did the best audition ever. And if we don't get cast, well, oh, it must be precast or oh, yeah. you know, they <laughs> they you know, they wanted someone who's black and I'm white, or they or they yeah. needed a woman and I'm you know, you know, all these different things, which yes, all those do come into play sometimes. But you're right. A lot of times we didn't give what we needed to, or we and sometimes it's one of two things. It's either we didn't step up, we didn't prepare enough, we didn't present the best that we can do, or what we did present was authentically us, and that's not what they were looking for. Yeah. And and either of those two, can, the second one we can't really control, which I think is the better option. If, if you're going to go in, be yourself, yeah. give everything that's you, and bring yourself to the role. And if you don't get cast, well, then that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But that first one, that's the one that we have to make sure that we're prepared and ready. Yeah, and the only way that you can continue to grow as a performer is learning from those mistakes or not even mistakes, but just what you would consider a failure. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. learning from those uh, opportunities and figuring out what what went astray, what went wrong, what you think you can improve on because really that's the only way you're going to grow is is taking a really hard look at those auditions and saying, did I give everything I could have possibly given? If you can honestly answer yes, then wonderful. But Mm -hmm. if you notice little things that you can continue to improve on, then amazing because that's the only way you're going to grow. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because it got me thinking that we get that when we're in a show. The director will give us notes. The the stage manager will say, hey, you're off your blocking. or what? Yeah. So we get that kind of critique when we're in the show, and then we tweak it, we, we perfect it, and, and we keep you know adjusting. But in an audition, we rarely, if ever, get any kind mm-hmm. of feedback. And the only person that can do that is, is ourselves. And so it. it's, it's true. We do have to kind of take the notes, kind of assess what happened, what didn't happen, and different ways that we can that we can improve either the next time we audition for that theater or just, you know, auditions in general. So I, I think that's a, a great way to think about it. It's interesting. You, you brought up the jealousy, which I've I've brought up on my own podcast <laughs> yeah, so I many heard times. It a times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and and so it's interesting because I was looking at your Instagram feed and you have <laughs> almost like sixty six hundred followers. <laughs> and and so there, there there's a bit of that jealousy i'm like how does she have so many followers like look, look <laughs> at all these people that, that love her and interact and connect with her like what <laughs> and and as more and more i hate it but it's the way of the world mm-hmm. more and more casting directors are starting to look at that 
Certainly yeah. in Hollywood, it's a big thing, and it's creeping now over into theater world. Mm -hmm. And so as as actors, it's like, well, well, sure, yes, of, of course, Adina Menzel has these followers, but, you know, <laughs> although social media wasn't around when Wicked, but, as, yeah. you know, in 2005, it's not like, you know, before she did Wicked, it's not like there were, she had millions of people following her every move. It's mm -hmm. like people do wonderful things and then people like them. So yeah. it's it's a little hard for when you're just, uh, you know, a daily grind working actor in New York City to be like, mm -hmm. hey, look, I've got 40,000 people following me, caring what I do. Yeah. So it, it, and so that's one of those things that I look at. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just not reaching people. I'm not, you know, I don't have this, this network. I don't have these connections that make me a valuable asset to a show. Because mm -hmm. I hope that me going into the room, again, getting back to, you know, being prepared and giving our best, that in the room, that's where I can show them, okay, this is where I need to be in, in your production. Mm. <laughs> deep, getting deep today. Deep thoughts, wow. deep thoughts. Well, another, another deep thought, what keeps us going? What is it for you that, that keeps you going to that 200th audition when uh. you still haven't booked anything? <laughs> Real. Okay. Yeah. I wrote this down because I really wanted to include this today. And okay. it's, so I love Ed Sheeran. Okay. If you yeah. know him, huge pop singer, but he had a really interesting uh, way to success. He's like a super chill, just normal guy who all of a sudden became this huge pop star. Yeah. But one of one of the one of his quotes. Let me see. Okay, he says this. He says, "When the world's against me is when I really come alive." I love that. It means mm. so much to me because I just have like I've always had this innate drive within me to perform and create. And I know that the statistics of being a successful actor are low because I record all of this. So I know, okay, I'm going into this audition and that audition and that audition, it's starting to add up. Am I getting any callbacks? Whatever. But there's something in me that says, I know the odds are against me, but I'm still here and I'm still going. And I know that one day, you know, one day I'm going to have one person that believes in me. One day I'm going to, um, someone's finally going to think of me and bring me in for a life-changing show. Mm -hmm. I, I know that eventually, as I, I think that there's a place for everyone in the theater industry one way or another, especially if they love it and they have that drive to continue in, in it. But I just think that regardless, it's going to take time. Um, and so right now what I'm doing and what I have been doing since I got out of school was putting my efforts not necessarily into auditioning for a specific show or a specific role, but putting my efforts into getting out there in front of different people and continuing mm -hmm. to, to show people who I am and what I have to offer in this theater industry. And eventually someone's going to take it and say, great, let's, let's work with this. Um, so that's, what's keeping me going. It's not necessarily getting this, getting a specific job, going in for a specific show. It's showing what I do and, and showing up to everything I possibly can show up for and, and invest in my future in this industry. That's yeah. it. 
because you know? you're you're relatively new at least yeah. to the to the world <laughs> of of New York City auditioning, right? Because you graduated yeah. a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so for for you, I because I remember when I came to the city, and that wasn't right after graduation; it was a few years mm-hmm. after. But whenever okay. I came to the city, yeah, I I did the same thing. I was like going to 10 auditions a week. I was like every yeah. open call that I could get into that that kind of fit sort of what I could do. I was I was there. I was trying to be seen. And yeah, I th- I think you have to do that because coming from the educational world and then also being in shows, those are kind of two different worlds and then the audition world is like a third world mm-hmm. that that you you have to really get to know because performing for two people behind a table is different from performing for 2000 in a theater Absolutely. you know not that our preparation not that our our acting and and realness of of presenting a character should should change but yeah when you have an audience of two in a small room it it just needs to alter how exactly you present that character. Mm-hmm. It's know? a skill within itself. It, it, I, I, I always say that. And that's why oh, yeah. th- there are those people that can audition wonderfully and then something happens on stage and vice versa. Mm-hmm. The people that just like, what happened to you in the audition room? But that once they're on stage, it's magic. So yeah. it, it it is definitely its own skill, just learning to audition. And I think that, I don't know, I mean, you can talk a little bit about your um, your schooling, but I know in in my college program, they didn't really focus a lot on auditioning. It was just all about mm-hmm. the Stanislavski method or just this mm-hmm. or incorporating this into your roles and characters. And now let's do scene work. I'm like, <laughs> what is the real world like? <laughs> like what What is it to just audition? <laughs> so did, did you, did you feel like you got a lot of training in that respect? I think I was lucky in that way that I did get a little bit of training in, in that at least my last year or two years in school because what's really awesome about Texas State and their musical theater program is that they have a bunch of teachers and professors that are currently still in this industry that are still performing in the summer or you know my one of my dance teachers and and choreographers Kira Schmidt she ended up doing like a course line at the Muni one summer while like you know but while she wasn't teaching at school and my, my other professors, the head of the program, uh, Caitlin Hopkins and her husband, Jim Price have been around for a while and are still continuing to perform. I mean, they were, you know, originally they were in like the original productions of bear on Broadway and um, what was the other show? Oh, Bat boy on Broadway Mm, or off Broadway. And then like Caitlin, was it last year, the year before was in a production of Annie like in the summer in Colorado, I think like I, what I love so much about that is that these are people that are still, still in this. And it's not like they were doing this 20 years ago and they stopped to teach. I love that. It's they, they have, they still have this fresh idea of what auditioning is um, and what the real world is like and what it is to, to receive a contract, how to go about that. And, and not just, this is this is the method of performing um, that's been around for a while, so we're just going to teach you that. Um, yeah. They went a little bit further, and I really appreciate that. And I also really appreciate, like the last year, we talked more about not just auditioning, but like I said before, so once you get a contract for a show, um, how to negotiate or how to, uh, we had a couple classes on like how to do your taxes as a musical mm-hmm. theater yeah. actor. I think that's all so important. We are our 
we're a small business, right? <laughs> yeah. Sure, that's what yeah. We are. We're like a walking yeah. small business and, and everything that we do can be deducted or this or that, or, you know, yeah. keep this receipt or that receipt and, and watch your budgeting as far as mm -hmm. like, so if you only book two or three shows a year, how do you make money? You know, all the yeah. different things, you know, mm -hmm. that we, that we need to do the ins and outs. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you got that because <laughs> yeah, because none of my professors were, working professionals like that. They, yeah. they had, I think they kind of came from a directing standpoint or this or that. Yeah. And so they were now just teaching, but, but they, Which they, is helpful too, because absolutely. like that in, in that aspect, that's helping you prep for once you get that part or, you know, it's giving you the idea of what's, what they're looking for behind the table or what, once you get the role, how do you treat you know, the script, how do you, how do you work? What's your work ethic? Like, I think that helps in that yeah. way. And, and a lot of those fundamentals certainly come into play with auditions. Like, like when you get a side breaking it down and, and, yeah. and how you're going to present this line or that, that line and, and work the character. But yeah, but yeah, I, th I think, but just like I've been in New York 10 years and 10 years ago, auditioning is slightly different than, so different. than it is now. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's just the process of what an equity audition is. And so that's different. Mm -hmm. But I think also, you know, there's been turnover as far as casting directors. And so now it's, you know, I, I see a lot more women now behind the table than I did 10 years yeah. ago. You wow. know, and, yeah. and, and, and so right. just something as simple as that is, is something that, you know, that you can bring into. And so like, oh, maybe I need to put more sensitivity on this, or maybe I need to be rougher in this moment. And so you can kind of adjust accordingly. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, what what keeps me going is I, actually I was kind of doing a little bit of uh, internet stalking of you, and I no! saw that, <laughs> I, I saw that you worked with um, a friend of mine, Andrew Lippa. Yes. yes. Oh wow. It, mm -hmm. Was was that Love something it. that that he was there and work, working with students? Or so Andrew Lippa came down to our program my junior year of school, and he was there for. Um, you know, with my teachers to work as an artist in residence. They have that every once in a while yeah. where they have uh, industry professionals come in and sometimes they'll have um, uh, musical directors, choreographers, writers, whatever. Um, so he came down and we were doing a little bit of a benefit concert with him. So we were singing music of Andrew Lippa's work of art and um we were able to like raise money for our program and but he then, was playing the piano yes okay wild <laughs> everyone was so nervous um I, my heart is still like i'm literally nervous right now thinking about it because it was such an incredible opportunity but we were also like we can't screw this up we yeah. need to do so much justice because he is right here playing with us so that in itself was incredible but mm -hmm. then what was even cooler was that my senior year, I did a, I did the world according to Snoopy, which is like a sequel to, um, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. Right. And we workshopped that and did it at Texas state. And then after that, we did the production at Tuts, um, in Houston. And, that same production moved over to Tuts, and then also at the same time, I think they mounted another production of it over at Theater Aspen in Colorado. And Andrew Lippa came to school to write some more music for the show, and he literally collaborated wow. with. So I mean, it was it was incredible. It was so cool. It was really nerve wracking having him in the audience and being like taking notes and figuring out what worked <laughs> and what didn't work. 
Um, but yeah, so that was my second opportunity to get to work with him. Um, and one of the shows, uh, one of the songs, I believe one, if not more, definitely was in the show. So, I mean, he, incredible, such an incredible man. And yeah, so you you worked with him with- uh, Right, with doing Adam's, Adam's Family. Family because yeah. for for the tour, they basically scrapped almost half of the show and, and wrote new music oh, and, and, and introduced introduced a new book. And so, oh, the, wow. I mean, a lot of it stayed the same, but but there was just a different turn where they wanted to focus more on- the uh, like like uh, Morticia's response and oh. Wednesday's response to what's happening with you know with these two families trying to come together and the secret of of her keeping Lucas from the you know so it, wow. it kind of took a turn in, in mm -hmm. the story and kind of focused a little bit more on on that family relationship and the Adams and because of that then Gomez got got a new number wow a, a, a new solo. Uh, toward toward the end of, of Act Two, mm -hmm. and one day Andrew Lippa comes in <laughs> and sings this oh! new song that he has written, for, and it's just like, I like like you know something else. How, how do you? Yeah, exactly. Like how do you respond whenever? This composer that is is so prolific and wonderful now comes in with a new piece no one's ever heard and just sings it for the cast. Oh, it was so wonderful, and it, and so it's moment. So it's moments like that mm -hmm. is why I'm still here. It's because like if I wasn't in this business, if I was like you know doing, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. That was kind of one of my yeah. other kind of jobs that I would have done. I would have gone into law and done something mm -hmm. with that. But I never would have gotten to 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 meet people like Andrew Lippa and hear new work right at, right from their own mouth as as, as it's being written wow. and so it's it's moments like that that really stick with me and it's and it's you know adam's family was a year and a half process mm -hmm. and it's something that i loved but that's that's definitely one of the, like the top three highlights from working on that show was getting a chance wow. to to meet andrew lippa getting to know him and and hear hear his new stuff there's something so special about like one thing to even hear new material from a composer, but just to to understand what their mind was going through when writing it. He would give mm -hmm. us like specifically when we were working on some of his songs from his shows like The Wild Party and Adam's Family, um, like hearing his method to his madness about what chords he was playing and, and why specific melodies were being sung and how important it is to follow some of those melodies and how important it is to have sort of a freedom with what you're singing um, rhythmically or melodically. Um, it was really special. And then seeing him play, I mean, just mm -hmm. anytime like he was playing, I think in that concert, he also played some of his own music and sung some of his own music and it's all on YouTube, but like he was playing one of the from the the Harvey Milk musical that right. he wrote. I mean, incredible. And like, you can see how much joy he has for his work and what he loves to create. I mean, that's just so, that's moving. And that, yeah, that's totally, a, that's a great reason why we're still here. Right, right. I mean, I mean- <laughs> To witness get, that? Yeah, to, to, I mean, because it's, that's what this whole creative field is about. It's about, it's about starting with with like a nugget of an idea and blossoming into a, a beautiful story, a, a full fledged musical or production, whatever it is. And I think that that gets back to what you were saying before about originating a role and being being something that's new and fresh. And that mm -hmm. that I think is a dream and a goal of of many actors. 
to, to, to really be something that, that, that's fresh and to be a part of, of a, uh, of a show from its very beginnings. It, it, it reminds me, I, I went to see uh, Andrea McArdle and Donna McKechnie. They were doing a, a, a duo cabaret at 54 Below here in the city. Icons. And, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Both of them icons in there and, you know, originating, as, as we yeah. were talking about, originating uh-huh. iconic roles. Yeah. And Donna McKechnie started talking about the whole, like, conversation that they had with Michael Bennett in creating a chorus line and the the backstories that went into each of those different characters because theater is so much about a representation about life and about Mm -hmm. the world that we live in and to have our actual stories to have like who was donna mckechnie before a chorus line i mean she was just someone grinding it out and making you know doing her dancing doing her singing Mm -hmm. but for her story to then be put into a show and then gets broadcast for decades on end and becomes one of the most iconic shows on Broadway is, is kind of amazing that our, our lives, which seem so small, can be put onto a stage. And even, even if it's not our story, but we will recognize a story that's on stage. We will see someone who's like, I've thought that, I've done oh, yeah. that. And to, yeah, and, and to have that kind of connection, I think there's very few other, there's certainly very few other professions where you can get that connection with the actual work that's being done. Yeah. That's why I love musical theater so much and theater in general. Like the fact that we can, we can tell stories, we can tell our own stories and how universal they become when you put them on a stage with music or whatever, like how, how much you can touch someone's life just by telling your own story or telling the story of someone close to you. Um, It's just so beautiful Mm. and there's really nothing like it. It can be a little self-indulgent, I guess, sometimes because you know, because oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> us, us actors tend to have big egos, and it, oh and, yeah, <laughs> and, and I think some of that is warranted because we have to be confident in ourselves. Um, we have to have but, a thick skin, right? But mm-hmm. but but at the same time, and and this this goes back to that jealousy, and and it's something that I I still struggle with and work on every day. About I still have to be giving and and welcoming in of, of others that have their own story to tell, that have their own talents to share. And they're on stage doing something that I wish I could do, or, mm-hmm. hey, I, I could do that better, damn it, or you know, <laughs> wh- whatever the thought is. But, but it, it is so wonderful because, I, for example, I just saw The Prom recently, which uh-huh. is on Broadway now. Yeah. And, and, and a friend of mine is the lead girl, Caitlin. And oh, I, 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 I first met her about eight or nine years ago. You know, when, when she was, I mean, she did this little like one act play that I was producing. And wow. so I cast her in it. It was like so random. The festival's not even around anymore. But, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, to see someone that I knew years and years ago, and now she's like this lead on Broadway and is doing a wonderful job, beautiful voice, wonderful, just, just intimate little character that, that she has bringing to life. And so it's moments like that where I'm able to, to kind of step back let, let go of my jealousy and be like, she is doing a wonderful thing and I'm so proud and yeah. happy to, to know her. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I know it's tough, especially, especially going to school for musical theater when you are spending like four years with the same people and you're taking mm-hmm. classes with the same people. And so, you know, you might even know these people better than they might know themselves. And then to see them go on to book a Broadway show or, or book a national tour, a lead and, and, and 
there's a that you have to have a sense of security in yourself to say i'm really i'm really proud of them and i think what they're doing is amazing and they deserve it because i i know i know people who who can take those uh, like other successes of other people and then decide to bring them down because of their own insecurity mm-hmm. or their own you know problems that they've been dealing with um it's tough it's 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 really tough to to look like to step back and say that's amazing i have a couple friends i have one of my really really good friends just played um she was understudying t-moon in once on this island she's a uh, year, she's a year younger than me and that show i, that I mean show. that show alone i okay <laughs> another Such one that a- i saw multiple times and it was completely necessary yeah um, yeah. But, okay. So, you know, like it's it's incredible. It's an incredible show. It it tells a beautiful story. And how could I not be proud? Like, how could I not be proud of what she had accomplished? Mm-hmm. And what's what's you know what adds to it is that she was a year younger than me in school. And so it's like, oh shit. You know, it's this taboo thing. Like, oh well, you know, I should I be there already? And you just have to remember that everyone has a different path. And mm. again, like what I said before is that there's a place for everyone in this industry there. I, I truly believe that. And, you know, it just so happened that she came to New York at the perfect time and it was a perfect role for her. And I would love to see her play it a million times over. I got to see her actually play T moon in December, like right before it closed. And I like cried, like, yeah. you know, yeah. it, I, I it's stepped a back beautiful and I was like, show. You know, it's it just, just so stunning. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, but it's moments like that where you 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 have to to really look inward for a second and and if you do have that sort of jealousy, like what does that mean? Is there something lacking in my life, not necessarily a job, but there, is there something lacking in my life emotionally or mentally that I have to figure out what to do with? Because you know, I there have definitely been moments in my life I you can't I don't know an actor who hasn't experienced that sort of jealousy. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it's it's bound to come up. I mean, especially yeah. because like theater is all about types, and yes. and you see a lot of the same people at the same auditions, going for the same roles, and so oh, yeah. you're, you're 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 in a type. And mm-hmm. if well, like, what's wrong with me that they got it over? You know, yeah. that's, that that's always going to be there. And that's but, the easiest kind of jealousy: yes, seeing yes. someone who's very similar to you in type, mm-hmm. and yeah. seeing them at the same auditions every time. <laughs> they're the ones that are getting the job. It's like, oh well, <laughs> why am I even trying? You know, right? But right. it's it's just a it's a learning experience, and it's tough, but it's it's just something you're always going to have to deal with. What would you say is like the the biggest thing you've learned? I mean, granted, you're like a couple years into this, but you grew up in Central Jersey, so so New York was never far away from you. No. What would you say is like the biggest thing that you've learned as you're getting your career underway? I I have learned a lot about my own work ethic and what's going to work for me. Like we talked about earlier about learning from our failures and and and. And one of the sayings that we had at our school was failing forward. What does that mean to you as an actor? So, so when I came out of school and I started to audition a lot, one of the things that I had to learn about was 
what is going to put my best foot forward? Um, because I decided coming out of school, I was going to go to every single audition and I was going to just get my name out there. But what was going to benefit me? And so I learned a lot about work ethic and memorization and how important it is to um, really know your material that you're going in with. Um, to put your best foot forward so that if the director has um, a note for you, you know, you're not buried in your material or you're not flubbing over your lines because you don't know them as well as, as you would want to. So learning about preparation, um, I really think preparation is the key in this industry um, because, again, yeah. really the only things we can control are our prep and our work ethic and our attitude going into the room, and that's it. I mean, we're not the ones that are casting ourselves in specific roles unless we become casting directors or directors or producers or whatever yeah <laughs> yeah and so um actually going to school I think my junior year going into senior year and then senior year I, I did I for a couple of summers and then for another year I interned with um Michael Casera with uh from Michael Casera casting in New York mm -hmm. and man did I learn more than I would have ever learned performing um because absolutely you know, i've heard from so many people it's like oh if you gosh. can ever get behind the table do and it. see yeah yeah do, I've, yeah. I, I've had a chance to be a reader for wochik c casting oh yeah yeah and so i I've, I've i've had them on my podcast you know earlier and it was mm -hmm. so wonderful and eye-opening and and to kind of see their reaction to what's what's happening i mean you know obviously i'm, I'm a reader so i i have my job there so that was yeah. what i focused on but then when I, I wasn't reading that particular scene or in between the auditions, mm -hmm. I got to kind of hear them chit chat about what worked with this, what worked with that. Yeah. And so, and also just watching audition after audition after oh, audition. It's so, it's so great. And it's, it's, I think the thing that surprised me the most is how many people come in with an attitude. Oh like, no. Like, like <laughs> what? Like, who are you that oh, you can kind of be? Yeah. I mean, I it was it. it was it was never anything that was like like evil. It was more no. just like they just had a little like like haughty thing, like like entitlement. Just in the way that they would talk to the to the pianist, like yes. oh, about their piece, or when they would be given a piece of directions, like yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, I got that. Mm. It, it was just it was just an attitude. It was like maybe you need to be a little bit more gracious mm -hmm. and open to what's happening here. Or bringing, I've seen, I, I saw a lot of actors, especially young actors, bringing in sort of the outside world into the audition room. So bringing in yes. a lot of, not necessarily baggage, but like bringing in their day into the room. <laughs> and that is really tough not to do. I mean, it's it's very much easier said than done to just let, let go of what happened outside of the room and just walk in as a clean slate. But I mean... That was that was wild. But going back to, um, so I listened to your podcast with Wojcik and and see, and I, it's just I love I love talking with casting directors and mm -hmm. and hearing their side of the story. And again, sitting on the opposite side of the table for a hot sec because I, I honestly think you learn more. And another thing that I would say is is a huge thing that I learned from that experience was how subjective everything is uh, i mean completely. it's so subjective and all even all a casting director can do is just bring in a couple people that they think are right for the role or right for the director's vision but when it comes down to it it's the director's call and Absolutely. it's their vision and so you could be amazing but it's the director's call and what they want and so 
again, all you can do is say, great, I'm going to know this material as well as I can. And I'm going to perform the best that I can for this person. And if I'm right for, for their vision, great. And if I'm not, I showed them that I was a consistent actor and hopefully they'll call me in for something else, but that's all we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's interesting you bring that up. I auditioned for a nymph show, New York musical theater festival show. Uh This was, uh, what was this like five years ago or so? And they were doing a new musical of the Swiss family Robinson story. Mm -hmm. And so I was going in for the, for the, the French pirate who kind of goes after the, the Swiss family, the the, the (laughs) Robinson family rather. And, um, and so, I mean, basically he's, he's like, uh, a copy of the of of Hook from Peter and the Starcatcher oh, or Black yes. Stash rather. So yeah. I mean, very much similar kind of like haughty, bombastic character, but with a French accent. <laughs> and, so, and so and so I mean, like I had so much fun in the room, and 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 you know, I was very happy and proud of of what I gave in the mm-hmm. room, and. You know, I got the call back, great, and I eventually mm-hmm. booked the role, which was wonderful. Amazing. After that, then I, I was sitting down with the music director, and he let me in on something. He was like, <gasps> when we called you back, everyone, myself, producers, the, the stage management, like everyone who was in the room loved you and we wanted you. The director had someone else in mind, but oh, we, wow. we talked him into calling you back. And even wow. and even after the callback, the director was like, "But well, I have this friend who I think can really do it." They had to wow. convince the director mm-hmm. that I mean, everyone else was there, but they had to convince mm-hmm. the director that I was right for it. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, That's it's subjective. It, it's so subjective. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I gave a great audition, but he still had something else in mind. And yeah. so, and we can't control that. No, I mean, it, it worked out in your favor because you had this whole room of people that right. were your supporters supporters and they wanted you in this position but it's crazy it's like i that's actually really fascinating and, yeah. and helpful to know that that that's what it's like and Be- i don't because, think we know that until we're behind the table right because that's, that's just happened. one as one outcome so obviously there have been probably many more times where yeah. i was wonderful great i did everything right but the director had someone else in mind and that's where they went yep. you know so i mean it's and we'll never know yeah, yeah, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. But but you know what? I, I've I've tried to to infuse that that enjoyment of of the performance into the audition as well. And yeah. you know, you know, going in and singing a song or going through the scene and just like, all right, well, well, let's have fun with this. What what can I bring to this today? It's like mm-hmm. it's like a new a new two minute show. I'm going to give them, and then and then I'll go home. <laughs> You yeah, know? that's it. So, I, mean, I think that's... Michael does Michael Kostrov say that because he came to our school and I think you had him on his on your podcast. Yeah, but like you, that's something that I will forever take with me is that like you get to be a character for two three minutes and so enjoy that, especially if you're not you know currently in a show and you're not currently mm-hmm. performing. Like you have for two three minutes, you are that role. And so, mm-hmm. what does that mean to you? Does that I mean you could just throw it away, but the fact that like you get to play a very specific role or even if you just get to sing your favorite song in the room, like that's amazing. And that again is another reason why I'm still doing this is because, um, you know, you get the opportunity to play all these different weird and, and wacky characters and you, even if you're not performing them eight times a week, you're at least doing them in the room for two, three minutes at a time. 
Because what's also really cool about being in New York specifically yeah. is that a lot of times we'll get a chance to to sing a song or do a side from a show that's not out yet. And then yeah. like six months, maybe a year down the road, oh, it, finally, yeah. it finally comes out off-Broadway or on Broadway. Yes. And it's like, I remember that scene. I remember singing I that song. Know. I, I just had that. I actually just had that experience. It was so weird because last year I went in for... Um, it's just funny now thinking back to it, but I was I was called in for the lead in King Kong, which now is played by the beautiful actress. Wow, Christi, what's her name? Christiana. Christiana. Uh, I don't Kids. even know. Uh, I sh- I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll have to message her because she's incredible. Yes. Okay, but like learning that material then. Okay, not knowing the show. I mean, obviously you know the movie and and whatever, but having to learn the material firsthand, getting to sing it in the room for. Tara Rubin and the the musical director and then seeing it on stage live in front of you it's like oh my gosh like that's crazy that I was able to even just perform that music for that little of a time because you know you were a part of that process in a way Mm -hmm. um that was so eye-opening I love I I loved it I was like singing along in my chair I was like I know this song you guys that's so cool (laughs) I was nerding out (laughs) (laughs) so fun yeah. yeah yeah i mean i mean for those of us who who love theater it's it's like a little insider feels like we know a secret right right <laughs> it's it's like it's like all these people you're enjoying it well i heard this two years ago and sang yeah. it so yeah <laughs> i was a part of that i wrote that song. <laughs> right because because i was not cast it let them know what they really it wanted so i was wanted <laughs> i was a part of of that person being i cast. proved to them that i was not what they wanted. right right <laughs> You know what? You you have to discover the no's as much as the yeses when you're writing a new show. So I was a no, and then they knew what not to do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Incredible. Oh my gosh. Maggie, thank you so much. This has been such a joy to talk to you. It has been just incredible. I am so glad we are finally meeting, and I hope that we get to finally bump into each other at an audition or work together. Yes, because on my screen, you're lovely, but I'm sure in person, you're even more wonderful. So in nice person, I'm you. just so evil. I know, I know. I get right. that all the time. <laughs> I, 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 I can't wait. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Of course. To find out more about Maggie Barra, you can follow her on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic, as well as go to her website, MaggieBarra.com. And also don't forget to go to the website, WinMePodcast.com. There you can listen to all the episodes of Why I'll Never Make It, as well as read the Win Me blog. Next week, we have our first repeat guest, Ryan McPhee, who you'll remember from last year's Tony Awards episodes. Well, he's going to be back to give a little taste about what's been on Broadway, what's closed, what's coming up, and we'll talk about who we think might get some Tony nominations in April. All that and more coming up on the next episode. Until then, keep making it, and I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.